Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. My name is Matthew Tilly, and I'm the pastor of McConnell Road Baptist, and we're glad that you've joined us for this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org. Um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18 this evening. Um, I do want to draw your attention very briefly before I get into the, the, the message tonight, just to the, the note sheet that I've passed out to many of you. Um, if you didn't get a copy of these, there's a blank, blank versions as well as filled in versions on that table as you walk straight out of the out into the uh, um, fellowship hall there. But I just want to draw your attention to it just so you get a sense of where we are. We're now, I think about, this is probably the third sermon on forgiveness, and I just want to make sure we're oriented to what, we're, what we've done and where we're going and all that. Uh, to start with, um, we, you, you would start in that, that, that note sheet in the middle. The big, what is called the foundation of forgiveness. That's the words that are on that sheet, the foundation of forgiveness. That's that big block in the middle. The point of that is simply to say that um, this is a pointless conversation if you're not in Christ. Outside of Christ, you can talk about forgiveness, but you'll never understand forgiveness, never understand exactly how to be forgiven, never how, how to forgive. You'll never understand that outside of Christ. In Christ, it's still hard, don't get me wrong, but at least you have a glimpse of it. You have something to work with. And that's why we'll call that the foundation of forgiveness. Now from there, if you'll notice, your, your chart has two boxes, one above and one below, and those are really two paths of forgiveness. One path, the top one is, you have uh, been offended by someone, you've been hurt by someone. Well, someone has sinned against you, would maybe another way to say that. Well, that's a path that we'll talk about in the future, or and I say we will, Jesus talks about in this passage. But the path that we've been going down is the one below it, which is, you have offended, you have hurt people, you have sinned against people. And that's the path that we're going down. And last week we dealt with that first box in the lower left there, which is your heart. Your heart. Because this all really starts from one of the things that you need to understand, and, why, and I think this will come out as, we, as you listen here, but it all really starts in our heart. I mean, that's where your sin starts. It starts in your heart. What's in, what is in your heart comes out of your mouth. What's in your heart comes out in your actions. What's in your heart comes out. And so it's got to start in your heart. So when you have offended someone, when you have sinned against someone, you have to start first, as it said, we said last week, you need to deal with your sin. You need to deal with your sin. That you just start in your own heart. You need to understand the, the pain that that's causing. You need to appreciate that yourself. So there is, when you are the one who is the offender, when you're the one who is sinning against someone, there needs to be a recognition for yourself. Because again, I mean, have you ever done this before where somebody comes to you and says, well, you did this, that, and the other thing against me, and you're like, I had no idea. And I, I've done that before because, you know, in my heart, I never felt like anything was wrong. Now, I, I'm not saying I wasn't wrong. I'm simply saying it wasn't in my heart. I never dealt with it. Now, hopefully, when somebody confronts you, you at least have the humility to look in your heart and say, okay, maybe I was wrong here. How do I fix this? But that does happen, right, where it's just not in your heart. And that's what the, the Scripture, I think, is telling us. You go back to verses 6, 7, 8, and 9, I think you'll look there and say, we need to be careful that when it is easy to sin against other people because we're selfish and we're acting in our own self-interest. That's, that's what he's talking about. Now, tonight, we're going to look at that middle box, and if you want to fill that in in advance so you can, 
not worry what's, what's missing there in case you have a blank sheet. Uh, it's Christ's heart. So yes, you need to examine yourself. That's what that first one is. But I want you to understand that when you have sinned, the heart of the Savior is acting on your behalf. In fact, what he's doing in that, the little phrase below that, Christ's hearts, it should say, respond to the shepherd's call. The shepherd is calling you back. And I use that word, the, the phrase the shepherd, that image of the shepherd, because the passage we'll look at tonight talks about him as a shepherd who goes out and seeks for that one lost lamb. So we're going to look tonight, when we have offended, when we have sinned, when we have hurt other people, the Savior is pursuing us. That's the idea that we're going to look at tonight. So before I get into the passage and get into the explanation of it, I do want to pray. Um, hopefully now I've oriented you to where we are, and we'll get into it tonight. So let's pray together. Lord, I want to ask for your help as I preach. I pray that I'll be plain and clear that your folks here, these are your people. You died for them. You love them. They are the ones that you are pursuing, and I pray that you will speak your word to them. Use me as you see fit and have your Holy Spirit convict and comfort. I pray you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to begin in chapter 18 of Matthew, and we'll begin in verse 10. I just want to read that first, first, and then we'll go from there. It says there that Jesus is this is a this is a conversation from Jesus, and he just picks. We're kind of picking up in the middle of it. You've already heard up through verse nine, verse ten. He says, and he kind of changes his course a little bit. He says here, he says, "Take heed, be careful, watch out. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones." Now, his, the word there, despise not, certainly it does suggest what we might say in English today, despise, but the intent really is not just that you hate them, but you kind of look down on them. You kind of look like you think you're better than they are. That's the idea, that, you're, that, you're, that you think, you know, they're not worth my time. That's the idea. So he says, don't despise them. He says, um, for I say unto you, verse 10, that in heaven their angels, he's talking about the angels of the little ones, do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. He starts this passage with a little bit of instruction. We're going to see in the following verses that there's going to be a lot about who Jesus is and what his heart is for his little ones. But he starts with a little instruction for us. Those of us, uh, those of us that are, are outside watching these people who are God's little ones. He says, don't look down on them. He says, don't look down on them. He says, that's not the heart of God. You know what I want to do sometimes, often, more often than I'd like to admit? Somebody does something wrong. Whether they hurt me or not, it's not relevant. It's just something I, I think they're out of line. You know what I want to do? I want to write them off. They're, that's just, they're, they're just not worth the time. Maybe, I, maybe it's just me, <laughs> but I, I tend to want to do that. You, you, you know, we're walking together, we're good, and then you go off in left field, and I'm like, well, forget him. That's how I feel, that's how I feel. Just honestly, that's, how, that's my natural inclination. Well, if you ain't got no more sense than that, go on and do it. That's how I feel. Jesus says that ain't the right way to feel. <laughs> that's not the Father's heart. Now, that might be mine, and it might be your heart, but that's not what God says. He says, don't despise them, don't look down on them, don't think that you figured something out that they haven't figured out, don't look down on them, don't cast them off to the side. We're so quick as religious people, and we're, the, we're a special kind of religious people, we have, uh, we, we, we're these kind of um, independent Baptists better than everybody else kind of religious people. Uh, unfortunately, that's just the, that's how we are so many times. 
And those kind of people, they can be so easy to look down their nose at somebody else who doesn't quite meet their standards. And what Jesus is saying, that's not the heart of God. Now you know, what is the heart of God? Well, John, 1 John 4, 8 says God is love. He's love. God is love. And you know what? God is so much love, has so much love. He is love. He has so much love. Do you know what he did? Before you were ever, ever believed in him, before you ever loved him, he loved us first. We love him because he first loved us. That's what he says in 1 John. But do you know that he pursued you in love? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. He loved you that he sent his only begotten son. That's why he did that. He did it in love. And when he did that, he loved you when you were, Romans 5, 8 says, when you were, you were a sinner. You were dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2 says. That's when he loved you. He didn't wait until, well, let me, let me just wait and see. Is she going to be good enough for me to love? No, no, no. He loved you before you ever deserved any love. Yet he loved you. Now, he did that before the foundation of the earth. He has then a heart that is full of love. Now, I want to I go one step further and say he loved you when you were a sinner. Do you know how much he loves you now that you're saved? Oh, my goodness. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says we were loved when we were sinners. Verse 9 says how much more now that we've been justified. So he has a heart of love. So I want to make sure we know that now this is largely what they may call an intramural conversation, an in-the-family in the conversation, meaning that these are all about Christians, not to say we shouldn't have a similar heart for those in the world, but we're primarily thinking about our brothers and sisters in the church here. So just know that when Jesus says he has a heart of love in this passage for his little ones, he's primarily thinking about Christians. He's thinking about you and I. He has a heart of love for us. I do think that there is a sense in which, I mentioned this this morning uh, in a parallel passage over in Mark where he talks about his little ones. I think he also has in mind, I think there's a suggestion here, this is my opinion, that there's the marginalized, the weak, the lost that is in mind here. But the primary thrust of Matthew chapter 8 are Christians. He's thinking about Christians. Now I want you to pay attention to what his heart is for these people. He's telling us the little bit of instruction for me and you is don't give up on these people. Don't throw them off to the side. Why? Because the Father loves them. Because the heart of the shepherd, he loves them. What does he do? Now go back to verse 10. He says, I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father. Now that, I don't know if that strikes you a little bit weird, but it, it struck me a little strange, so i do a little bit of digging on it. I want to explain what's going on here. He says that there are angels watching over all of the little ones. Now, have you ever heard people talk about guardian angels, that idea of a guardian angel? This is where they get that from. Now, I don't know. I'm not going to have a strong opinion on if, if each one of us has an angel assigned to us. I have no idea. But I do know that the angels of the Lord are watching over us as a whole. Now, do you have a specific one with somebody's name? I don't know. Maybe, you know, there's probably an angel. Is there an angel in heaven that says Gary Siemens across his chest? I, I don't know. Maybe there is. Could be. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. But I do know that there are angels watching over each of his little ones. That's what he's saying there. So there's this idea of a guardian angel, this idea of someone that's watching over. Now, I will also say, while I do believe, because Jesus uses the term angel there, he is, I think, has in mind the angels of heaven. But I also think that there's, a, there's an easy application of this that, that there could be any number of things as well. Not, certainly the angels in heaven. 
But that idea of an angel is a messenger from heaven as well. There could be people that God has put in your life to look over you, especially if you're a younger person, you've got parents. Those, are, those people could be your angels that the Lord has given you to watch over you. If you're a member of a church, you have pastors and deacons that should be part of that, that process of looking over you. Uh, if you're in, a, in a, any kind of community, you have friends and family that should be some level of angel for you to look over you. And that's why uh, it's written in Hebrews 13, to obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Because why? They watch for your souls. That's why God puts those people in our lives but here's the interesting thing about this in verse 10. Go back to that passage where it says that in heaven the angels do always uh, behold, excuse me, that in heaven the angels do always behold the face of my father. So he's saying here that there are these angels that are being watched that are watching over them, but these people are, these angels are always has the face of the father. They have access, direct access to God himself. In other words, these people are not in their own right, these people, these angels, are not in their own right protecting you. They're watching you, and when something happens, they're calling on the power of God to help you. And that, that's, that's pretty powerful to me, that, that God is, actually cares enough for me and for you, for any one of his little ones. He cares enough for us to watch over us and to make sure that at a moment's notice, his power, his face, will be brought into the situation. He cares that much for his little ones. He cares that much, and of course, by implication, so should we, because, I don't know, God may have made you an angel in a situation for somebody. I, I don't know what he's, who he's put in your care, but I believe he does give us those kinds of assignments, that sometimes he brings people into our life. Maybe it's a younger person. Maybe it's a, a person who's gone through something that we've gone through. It may be somewhere where we have an official position of authority over them, or maybe it's more informal. But either way, I believe God does give us those opportunities to be, if I can use that term a little bit loosely, an angel for somebody else. I think he can do that for us. So you may be the one that God has sent. If you're going to do that, then you better make sure you're watching you better make sure that you have access to the power of God so you can help them where they need help. But not only is uh, he watching over them, the shepherd is watching over them with his angels, he is also seeking out his little ones. I want you to go down to the next verse. I'm sorry, I, I, missed, I skipped over verse 11 just to simply say that the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. This is the whole point of God, God's uh, mission into this world is to come and to save us. But go to verse 12, and he says, How think ye... If a man have an hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? Jesus cares enough to go and find you wherever you are. Even if one of us goes astray. There is no one who is a Christian... There is no person who is outside of the purvey, purview, excuse me, of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that song, I, I know, I think Isabel sing, has sung it here, um, He Knows My Name. Do you know he knows your name? Do you know why he knows your name? Same reason your mama knew your name. Matthew, Jonathan, Tilly, get in here right now. And I knew where I needed to be. Same reason. God knows your name. He's not forgotten you. You can't sneak under the radar. You can't slither around. We like to think we can. We like to think we can get out of his sight, and God can't see me. And I know we never say it that way, but we act like that. 
God, God knows your name. He knows where you are. No one can go astray without him knowing that you're gone astray. And he is going to look after you. He is going to seek you out. I will go so far as to say there is no one that has gone too far. You go to this example here. He's got a hundred sheep, and he's, one of them has gone astray. One of them. Now, to be fair, in the economy that he's talking about, this is this, is this man's income. I mean, this is, I mean, it's like if you had a, a fleet of trucks and one of your trucks is gone, you're going to go find it, aren't you? You're not just going to say, well, forget that. I'll just go ahead and talk that one off. No, you're going to go and send out a nationwide manhunt if it comes to, because that's your business. That's, that's what you, it's your livelihood. That's why this guy's doing this. These are not his pets. These aren't just his friends. These are, this is important to him. And in the same way, you are important to God. There's none of you that are too far gone. You're too important to God. He sent his only begotten son to die for you. And for you to think that God can say, well, he's too far gone. I'm not going to worry about him anymore. You misunderstood what he's done for you. You misunderstood how important you are to him. He is not going to ignore you. He is not going to overlook you. Yes, he is never going to leave us alone, and that is a comfort in its own way. But I also know that if you're in your sin, it's not all that comforting to know that he's never going to leave you alone. That means you're not going to get away with anything. Just like I remember when I was... <laughs> I remember when I was a little little kid, I was just, this image came back to me again, and I would be sitting in church, and of course my daddy was preaching, especially when we were back on the United States, because we were in Europe a lot, and that's where he was planting churches, and we were in the United States, and he would visit all his churches, you know, and I'd be sitting in a different church, and I was a little kid, just like little kids, I want to squirm and mess around, and I'd think nobody could see me. But man, I got it when after church was over with. You're supposed to be sitting still and you're all this. Because he was watching. He was watching. But I want you to understand that the Lord loves you, which is why he chastens you. This is Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6. He loves you, so he is going to chasten you. You're not going to get away with it for very long. And I don't mean that to say... I want to make sure I get you the right emotion with that. It's not intended to be a God's going to get you kind of thing. That's not, the, that's not the point. The point is God loves you enough not to let you go off. Think about it this way. I another story that just came to my mind is Isabel when she was, real, she was real little. And we lived in Walnut Cove at the time. And I don't know what possessed her, but she went off somewhere. We were out in the middle of nowhere where we lived in Walnut Cove. I mean, Walnut Cove is in the middle of nowhere, and we lived out, out of the city limit. We were out in the, out nowhere. And she just decided to go somewhere. I don't know where she went. She's, I mean, she's, I don't know, two, three years old. Might have been a little older, a little younger. Not very old, not barely, barely walking. And she goes off somewhere, and we looked around, couldn't find her. I, we ran all over the place. You know where she was? She was, we lived on a dirt, we lived off of a dirt road, which was off of a dirt road, which is off of a paved road. That's where we lived. And she'd made it all the way to the paved road. And she was in the middle of the road, just standing there walking. Scared us to death. Now, I know she didn't mind at the time because she's a little toddler doing whatever she wants to do. But that's how we are as Christians. We go astray and we think we're having the time of our lives not realizing we have put ourselves in danger and thank God he loves us enough to actually go look for us, 
to not let us stand in the middle of the road and get hit by the sin of this world and destroyed. He loves us that much. That's the emotion I want you to have. Not that God's going to get you. He will get you, don't get me wrong. But that's not the emotion you need to have. You need to have the emotion that sin's going to get you and your Savior loves you so much He's going to protect you from that. So He is going to come after you. He is going to spare no expense. He is going to pursue you by any means necessary even if, like Jonah, you want to run the other direction. He's going to come after you. The shepherd's heart is to seek you out. But he also goes on in the next verse, in verse uh, 13, he says, now when he finds it, he says, if so be that he find it, talk about that one lost sheep, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. He says when he finds them, he loves them so much, he is rejoicing over these people. This is the heart, of the, the heart of our shepherd. He loves you so much. When he finds you in your sin, he, he's happy that he found you. He's happy that he can turn you back around. That's what the Lord does, and he's happy about that. He's re rejoicing. As I mentioned earlier, he loved you when you were a sinner, Romans 5.8. How much more now being now justified by his blood does he love you? And you, he even gets happier when you return. It reminds me of the passage over in Zephaniah. I, on Thursdays, I do what, what I call Thursday encouragement on Facebook and it takes about a 20-minute little segment of video. Hopefully some of y'all can join and some of you do join in on that. And a few weeks ago, several weeks ago now, I did a, a message on Zephaniah. And I, I love that passage in chapter 3 where he says in Zephaniah chapter 3, listen, y'all need to get back, y'all need to get right, but God's grace and God's mercy is so good. And he says in verse 17, the Lord thy God is in the midst of thee, in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save, he will rejoice over thee with joy, he will rest in his love, he will joy over thee with singing. I just, that image in my mind, I can't even, I don't even know exactly what it looks like, but I just, it just, it kind of tickles me. God in heaven singing about me singing about me. Ain't that something? He sings about you too. That's amazing. He loves you that much that he is rejoicing when you return to him. He is singing over you, which is why in 3 John, 3 John, 3 John verse 4, it says, I have no greater joy to hear that my children walk in truth. And some of y'all know how this is, especially if you've got older children and maybe, maybe they weren't doing the right thing, but then they start doing the right thing. Or maybe they made a mistake and then they kind of get that thing right. There's something about you in your heart that just makes you go, whoo, yeah, I'd like to see that. And some of y'all know that firsthand. You've seen that where there's something been happening, and that's exactly whatever you felt, just amplify that a million times over. That's what God feels about you. He loves you that much. He is, enjoy, he is enjoying you. He values you and rejoices over you. Now, he says there in the next verse, he says in verse 14, even so, he's saying um, that illustration of this shepherd who goes and finds, does everything he can to go find his, his sheep and rejoices when he brings it back. In the same way, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So I already kind of made this point, but I want to reiterate to you, the whole reason that God does this is because he loves you and he is trying to protect you. 
He does not want the sin of this world, does not want the degradation of this world to destroy you. You're one of his youngins. He cares about you. He wants to keep you straight. He wants to keep you right. It's like Vanessa always says about our children. He said, I don't want y'all looking like a bunch of orphans. That's what she says. And so she's, and they'll, they'll be dressed however they want to dress, and she won't let them go out of the house. She, that's not the way my youngins are going to dress. Y'all are going to get straight. Now, she can't do anything about Harrison. I, I don't know what's wrong with that man. Uh, he, <laughs> he just looks like he's uh, just woke up from a, a, a hibernation, a bear whacking up from hibernation all the time. But uh, anyhow, that's, that just that didn't take. But the point is that you, you have some pride, and I mean that in a positive way. You have some pride in your family, don't you? You want to make sure that they represent well. And that's the way God is. He wants to protect you. And he says there, he says in that verse, he says, it's not my will, not the Father's will, that any one of these little ones should perish. In fact, he protects them so much. If we go back to verse 6, you can see that he is going to punish anybody. He's going to come after anybody that leads one of his little ones off the wrong path. You dare not be one of those who leads one of his little ones astray because God will come at Talking about God going to get you. God will get you for that. God will get you for that. There's these people that are preaching and teaching all kinds of false doctrine and heresies, and they're painted up, and they, they look like they're good. They look like they're men or, men or women of God, and, and what they're preaching and what they're teaching is false and her, heretical and leading people astray. I do not want to be in that position. It even scares me. I'm standing here trying to do the best I can to be as right as I can. I, I, it scares me to say the things that I say. I want to make sure that I'm representing God because he says, I'm not going to take it lightly if you lead my little ones astray. He's going to go to all lengths necessary to protect his little ones. Any means, he's going to make it, take any means to find you, and he is taking any means to protect you. That means, if you were to go to verse 7, you would see there that he says, woe unto the world and woe unto that man who leads people astray. He is giving warning. He is giving you a minute to pay attention here. This is, we can take this as the Holy Spirit's conviction. This is what he does. He, he convicts us. If that little, that little voice, if you're a Christian, that little voice in your heart that says, you ought not do that. You know better. That, that don't set right. You know that little voice that you ignore <laughs> and you do it anyway? That's the Holy Spirit trying to stop you. Amen. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you, saying, whoa, hang on, stop, no. That's, that's, that is one of God's lines of defense for us. He's protecting us. He's looking out for us. I do believe that he will be willing to take extreme measures if necessary. If you go back to verses 7 and 8, or excuse me, 8 and 9 of this same passage where he says, listen, you might as well just go ahead and cut your hand off. You might as well take one of your eyeballs out if that's what it takes. He said, I'd rather you go through this world without sight. I'd rather you go through this world with being lame or maimed. I'd rather that happen than you end up destroyed by your sin. I believe that that extreme measure does take the form, especially for his little ones, it takes the form of he does take them out of this world. Again, I, I'm hesitant to even suggest how, how far we have to go. That's between, that's God's business. But I want to make sure that we know that God loves us enough. He's not going to leave us in our mess. He's not going to leave us sopping in our mess. He is going to, if you're one of his, he will take care of you. He would rather take you out of this world and protect you in his presence than to leave you 
running through this world running amok. It's actually kind of a, a should be a nerve-wracking thing, especially if you're listening to what I'm saying, and there's something that you have been involved in, sin that you participated in, and it never seems to bother you. God doesn't seem to be drawing you back. If there's no real punishment, if there's no real obstacle, if there's no real conviction, you know why? Same reason that I'm not going to your house and spanking your children. Because I don't punish other people's children. I don't chastise other people's children. That's not my job. I, was tra- I, was, I took on raising four children. That was it. That was enough. God took on raising his children. And if you're not being chastised by him because of wrongdoing, the Bible tells us in Hebrews, you might not be one of his. So I want to say that that as much as that's a scary thought that God may actually take me out of this world, please allow that to soften our hearts to say when the Lord's working with us, let's just not be upset with him about it and say, thank you, Lord, for your chastisement. Help me to get this thing right. Help me to straighten up. We'll talk about this in the next couple of weeks, over the next couple of weeks, but one of the means that he uses, and we come to this in verse 15, again, we won't take the time to look at it tonight, but if we come into verse 15, he actually uses the church to pursue us. He doesn't just let us go. It's not just, it's not just a, you and Jesus got your own thing going. <laughs> this is a family. We work as a family. Again, we'll talk about that. I, I'm tempted to go into it now, but I won't because it'll take too much time. But I want you to know that God uses his church to bring us back. And if you're a member of this church, McConnell Road Baptist Church, we're not perfect at this. And frankly, we're not even all that good at this, but we want to get better. We want to obey the Lord on this. When we have one of ours who is in sin, instead of looking down our nose like is the historic Baptist thing to do, let's look at that pitiful creature there and let's just shun him or ignore him. That's not what we ought to be doing. No, we ought to have the heart of the shepherd to go and pursue them in love, to bring them back, to care for them, help them, pray for them. That's the heart that we ought to have because God has put us on this mission. But the point is, sometimes he gives us the church to pursue us. But the point of all this is to simply say he puts safeguards, he puts protections in place to keep us from harm. The good news of this, Jesus never gives up on anybody. Aren't you glad? (laughs) So glad. Man, if he gave up on me, if he gave up on you, and don't get me wrong, I'd want to give up on you sometimes. You'd want to give up on me most of the time. But Jesus never gives up on anyone. And because he doesn't give up, we should have his heart, and we ought not give up on anybody else either. In fact, he may have actually put us in place for the purpose of helping one of his little ones. And what are we going to do? If we've given up on one of his little ones, we've given up on them, we've written them off, and God said, well, I wanted you to help them. Well, you're not going to be much help. He's going to have to pursue you now. He's going to get you right. So we need to, by any means necessary, seek to recover those little ones. We need to encourage their repentance and bring joy to the Savior's heart. We need to protect them from Satan's attacks. My question as I close is, will you submit to his will and help? Quit running from God. Will you repent? You know what the Lord's working with you on. I I don't know. Holy Spirit should be talking to you right now. And if he's not talking to you, I would honestly say, Lord, what's wrong with me? 
What have I done wrong that you're not talking to me? Would you not want to stay under his protection? Would you not be willing to accept his concern? I know, I know it makes us mad sometimes. It makes me so mad. Vanessa will say something to me. She'll say, you ought not do this. You ought to do this. You ought to change this. It makes me so mad. My bristles get up so big. Oh, what are you talking about? I'm perfect. That, am, I, am I right? Okay, maybe that's just me. All right, y'all know my sin now. But what I ought to be doing is saying, she actually cares about me. This is exactly the way our Savior is. Instead of you sitting there saying, what's that guy, what's that man up here preaching about my sin for? Why is he talking about my mess? Ain't none of his business. Who told him? No, stop. It's the Savior caring for you. He's concerned for you. He loves you. Will you submit to that and know he has your best interest at heart? He's wanting to protect you. Will you do that? Will you submit to his will for your life? Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilley, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org.